Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann, and today on the Heinemann Podcast, author and editor Katie Woodray interviews Carl Anderson and Jennifer Saravallo, who both recently published two confirming books in Heinemann's Classroom Essentials series. Carl's book, A Teacher's Guide to Writing Conferences, and Jen's book, A Teacher's Guide to Reading Conferences, were also both edited by Katie Woodray. Katie says that conferring is without a doubt the most student-centered practice there is. She started this conversation by noting both the challenges and rewards of conferring and asked both Jen and Carl to share a story from a conference that was significant. You know, let me tell about one conference I had last week that has stuck with me. I was working in a school in Charleston, South Carolina, and I had a conference with a fourth grader. His class is studying historical fiction. And, you know, I sit down with this little guy and, you know, how's it going? And so he says, you know, I'm, I'm writing about the Doolittle Raid on Tokyo in World War II, and I think I've just covered too much ground. And I said, well, say more about that. And he goes, yeah, I kind of start my story with Pearl Harbor, and it ends with Hiroshima. But I want to, you know, but I, I just feel like it's covering too much ground. It's one of those conferences that sticks with me because it was so rewarding on so many levels. On um, you know, the first level, here's a nine-year-old kid that is grappling with some of the hugest topics that we have. I mean, he's writing about war and trying to make sense of this huge historical event and, and what it means. And I just find it such a privilege to sit with kids, whether they're kindergartners writing stories or eighth graders writing arguments, or this little boy writing realistic fiction about you know an event in World War II, trying to make sense of it. It's just, it's such a privilege to work with kids that are trying to make sense and figuring out what their thinking is and coming up with important things to say. And it's also rewarding because we get this, we have this privilege and we confer of just offering kids the most amazing tools. You know, Jen, you say it's where the magic happens. Part of it is the magic of just really teaching a kid, you know, okay, let's talk about focus and how writers focus. Let's look at a mentor text and talk about how this writer did. And here's the strategy for doing it. So I just feel so privileged to be able to offer these craft techniques and and these ways of thinking about writing that help these kids shape their thinking in ways that become very powerful when they actually share them with other people. So that to me is is just one of so many thousands of conferences that just flash through my mind when I, when I think of your question. I'll share a positive memory too. Um, recently, and actually I was lucky enough to get this on camera. I had this experience working with a student in a type of conference I describe in the book called a goal setting conference. And in a goal setting conference, ideally you put some work in front of the student and you lead them through questions to get them to reflect and set a goal. And there's always this trust right, on the part of the teacher that the child's going to be able to reflect and articulate what it is that they really need and say something that's clear from from the work in front of them. And so I was recently working with a student, a fourth grader, who was looking over this assessment she'd taken and there were a number of different questions she'd responded to. And she was able to really easily sort of identify the places where she had a challenge. And I gave wait time, which is always, you know, again, trusting that the, that the wait time and some time for the student to think will, will yield something helpful. And she was able to come up with some reflection on her work that wasn't exactly what I had thought, but made perfect sense with where she was. And in that moment, I just thought how important it is that we allow kids to drive 
the conferences in some cases and that we give them the chance to do that reflection and do that thinking. And that's, to me, a lot of the magic, right? There's so much that teachers can plan for. We can kind of plow ahead with our lessons. We've got our curriculum. We've got our pacing guides. We've got our units of study. We've got our curriculum. We have our standards. But to sit next to a student and really let them have a chance to say, here's what I'm working on, or here's what I see in my work, or here's what I think I need help with, I think can be really powerful for both the student and the teacher. That's just a great story, Jen. You know, we so want kids to become independent readers and writers. And when kids can learn to articulate goals like that, that's such a remarkable moment in a conference. It's a great story. Yeah. And you know what strikes me in both your stories is this this idea of teaching that really catches students in the, the thick of it, the thick of their work, which is moving out from behind the desk and, and being there at that, at that particular moment in time with this with this child. I'm just so genuinely amazed by kids every day, you know, that it's just so rewarding to take the time to be able to have those individual conversations with them and to learn from them and to teach them, you know, one-on-one like that. Yeah, and it never gets it never gets old. It's like every kid that I meet and talk to, it's just always just so renewing for me. Every kid I talk to, it's just it's a remarkable It's a remarkable privilege. I've said that word a lot already today, but it is just a privilege to sit alongside kids and learn from them and teach them. And even though you both write about patterns and the learning to see patterns and work that help you get better at conferring, it's a pattern, but it's also completely new every time in this moment, right? Because it's this child with this topic in this moment in time. And that's amazing. I think the patterns and the kind of the categories and the way I think about reading and the way that Carl writes about the categories and he looks for and thinks about for writing help you not lose your way and to have a conference in a reasonable amount of time because it can be stressful to you know be watching your clock and minutes and minutes are ticking by and you don't know where you're going so it's not that it's completely improvised and off the cuff there is some logic to how Carl or I make decisions in a conference but It is always unique, it is always responsive, and it's always tailored to the individual child. I'm wondering if I if I went uh, into classrooms and talked to some kids that you both have conferred with, you know, routinely, and I said to them, Tell tell me about Mr. Anderson. And they would answer me based on, you know, the you they've gotten to know through conferring. What do you think they would say? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you what one kid said. I've been uh, in <laughs> second grade. I wrote a poem about me and my conferring with her years ago, and I often recite it in a workshop. The poem's called Mr. Anderson, and she wrote, Mr. Anderson is kind, he is sweet, and I got to sit next to him. I got shy a little. I love Mr. Anderson. <laughs> and the line that I love, the two lines, actually, that I love so much in the poem is, I got to sit next to him. I mean, that to me is the heart of that poem. And I got to work with her a couple times. We've actually both visited the school, Katie. So um, in Atlanta, um, where this little girl goes to school. But what I'm going to guess she would say is that what she liked about conferring with me was she felt that I made her the center of my universe for the five, six, seven minutes that I conferred with her. I was intensely interested in her as a person, her as a writer. And um, she knew that I knew stuff that I could share with her. And I also think she would say I have a good sense of humor. I think I joke a lot with kids and have fun with them. Conferring should be a very joyful, fun thing. And so I'm going to guess she would say that. A couple of years later, I, when she was in fourth grade, when I visited the school, the principal of the school asked her, you know, and a bunch of kids, how do you become a writer? And this little girl said, it's when Mr. Anderson conferred with me in second grade. 
you know, so that was, that's just, that's one bit of feedback that I got. So I'm going to guess that's what I hope most kids would hopefully say. And how about if I ask them to tell me about Miss Sarah Vallow? <laughs> you know, kids say all the time, you're that lady. <laughs> <laughs> that lady. <laughs> teachers, teachers carry around the reading strategies book and my face is on the back of it. So they're oh, always yeah. seeing my face. And so when I come into a classroom, you're that lady. <laughs> um, but I hope after I have a conference with a student, I hope they feel heard and I hope they feel helped. And a lot of times a favorite part is when the child says, thank you at the end of a conference, you know, having children of my own, I I can tell you kids often need like a little nudge to remember to even say thank you when someone gives them a gift or hands them something. So I feel like when you get a student who genuinely looks at you after and says, thank you, it's very rewarding. And you know, you're both end up doing tons of conferring, but in sort of oddly uh, positioned ways in other people's classrooms. But to me, it seems like that's a really great question for teachers in their own classrooms to ask themselves. If I asked your students, you know, what would they say about you from what they've learned about you through conferring? Because you, you both speak to that in your books, that it is a relationship building kind of interaction. And so it, it's an interesting question, I think. Yeah. Jen, it's so funny they call you that lady. Um, sometimes I walk into a classroom or I'm in the hall and a kid wrote something and goes, you're the famous author. And, and <laughs> then they look at me, they're kind of puzzled. And then they say, but you look just like a dad. And I thought you were taller. <laughs> and your hair is gray now. I, I, what'd they do to the picture? Well, um, at least, it, Carl, at least they're not saying you look just like a granddad. <laughs> closer to 60 than I am to 50 now. Here's another question I want to ask. And Like both of you, I have years of conferences on videotape from my own work, which is like a whole history of me aging along the way and my hair getting bigger and smaller. And But one of the things that I I know happens to me a lot when I'm conferring, and I don't know if other people can, but when I watch myself confer, I can see the look come over my face, is that often I've got two conversations going on. I've got one inside my head because this child is saying something to me and I'm going, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to say? I don't know what to say. I don't, that's raging inside my head. And then there's another conversation that's coming out of my mouth. You know, what I'm, what I'm actually saying to this child. And I'm just wondering from two experts like you, like how do you manage because I, I, that must happen to everybody. First of all, c- can you confirm for me that it's not just me? And second of all, how do you manage those two conversations of what you're thinking and what you're actually saying? Yeah, it's probably most stressful when you're when you've got two cameras and a boom mic over your head. <laughs> That's the situation where like I better say something good here. But the advice the vi- advice I give teachers and that I try to follow myself is to be okay with telling the child you need a second. And instead of just continuing to talk, sometimes I think it's really good to just stop for a second and just say, can you give me just a second to think? I just want to think about what you just said. And then just write some notes to yourself. Or Carl, you taught me a long time ago to keep a T-chart, right? Things that I notice that the child is doing really well, things I notice I might work on. Give yourself a a second to look over those notes and just sort of think for a second. I think that sometimes teachers feel like I have to keep filling the quiet space. I have to keep talking. And I also say to teachers, and I try to follow this advice myself, if you really don't know what to teach, you could just give a compliment 
and say thank you and move on to the next child. And that's totally fine too. And in fact, it can be really helpful, I think, to alternate the kinds of conferences you do. And sometimes it doesn't need to be that you're teaching a whole new thing or that you're giving them critical feedback or moving the needle at all. Just praise what you already see and then move on to another student. Yeah. So Katie, um, I definitely am having two conversations in my mind. One thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is a concept that I call worthiness. And I think that's really driving a lot of my thinking and conferring. What I mean by that is, you know, kids don't get to choose to come to school. They don't get to choose to have a conference with me when it's time to have a conference. And so I'm taking five or six minutes of their childhood and I need to be worthy of that time. I think we all do. And what I mean by worthiness is I need to really make sure I'm doing big, important work in a conference. So, um, and that big important work could be an important mini lesson in the unit, or more importantly, like Jen was talking about before, the conference hopefully is going to focus on something that's really an important goal for the child. And so, you know, I start with how's it going? And I, and as Jen said, silence is really important in conferring. And, you know, and hopefully a kid says something about what they're doing as a writer. And then I'm thinking, is the direction this kid going a worthy direction for this child? And so hopefully most of the time it is, they'll say they're doing something that's really important and I go there. But what I'm also thinking is, you know, maybe that's really not a direction to go in. They're talking about editing when they've just written a sentence. And so I'll just say then, well, what else are you doing? And I'll, I'll redirect the conversation. And I'm really looking for something that I think is worthy of this child's time. And I really want it to come from the child because I think conferring goes best when we get behind kids' intentions. But I think that's what's really driving me, that question in the back of my mind, that belief that I just want to be worthy of this child's time every single time I sit down with them. So, you know, so I think that's the conversation I'm having in my head, Katie. I love that word, Carl. I really love that word applied to what we're talking about right now. It stretches my thinking a lot to think about that. And it reframes, you know what? It reframes it too in such an important way. So that's what's going through my mind a lot these days and what I talk a lot about with teachers. And, you know, Jen was getting at it, I think, before. You know, I think her goal set in conference work is really, really important. I have goals for kids too that I confer into. But, I, you know, to me, that's really getting at part of what the answer to the question of worthiness is. Just, you know, we want this to be big, important work. It's the time when we have that's, you know, the most differentiated time. It's it's the time when we build relationships. It's the time when kids are giving us feedback. And it needs to be really important work. It's interesting for me at my, the stage of my career, I am almost 40 years older than some of the new teachers in the field now. And quite honestly, most of the stuff that comes up in conferences now for me, I feel really comfortable with and I know what to do. And I think a lot of it goes to what Jen was talking about before. You know, it's it's this idea of pattern recognition and that, you know, kids are approximating writing in not exactly the same ways, but in some ways that a lot of kids have in common and we're going to see over and over again. So I just feel like at this point in my career and every genre that kids write in, you know, the grades I'm really comfortable with, kindergarten through eighth grade and high school too, that, that generally I, I, I know what to expect. And so, you know, I think part of this is just helping teachers with this idea of recognizing patterns. With that said, you know, I, I still do run into conferences where things get a little crazy. I had a conference with a ninth grader in Edmonton, Canada last year, and I sat down with him. And I said, well, how's it going? And he goes, I really don't know how to embed symbolism in my writing. And I've never had a conference about that before. It was actually really, really fun. And I just loved having to think of my feet and then explaining what, what I, how I did that. And, you know, I realized, and what I did was I thought, okay, do I have a, and my go-to place is often what writer is with me that does something like that in a text that I can quickly learn from and show this kid. And 
Ralph Fletcher's story, Last Kiss, has a beautiful flashback scene that works as a metaphor. So I showed this to this boy and he got it and he tried it in his writing. It was beautiful. And then I added that to my repertoire of patterns. You know, I think that the pattern that I would name that as now is he was a kid that was using detail literally. And he was and he he needed to stretch his concept of detail and be more figurative with this detail. And so that's kind of how I'm naming that pattern now. But it's fun. But that's that's often what new teachers, almost everything for new teachers is like that. It's like, I don't know what I'm looking at. So part of the work that I think we need to do with teachers is just helping them recognize patterns, just like doctors learn when they're new at their practice. They have more experienced doctors show them what things look like and how to respond to them. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Carl. And I was in a leadership group with Carl where we basically would just spend, I don't know if you remember this, Carl, but you had an overhead projector and yep. you would just put overhead after overhead of student writing up on, <laughs> up, and we would, and you'd say, say 10 things that are positive, say a few things we might want to work on. Next, we put another one up, <laughs> say 10 things. And it was just repetition and practice that we got really good at noticing patterns. And I think that that experience looking at writing in that way really shaped the way that I approach writing conferences now. And it also has impacted the way that I think about reading, which can be, I think, very kind of nebulous and vague and hard to put your hands around. And everybody talks about reading in different ways. You know, you've got like the Fountain Pennell within, beyond, about the text. You've got the Keenan Zimmerman activating prior knowledge, determining importance, right? So you've got these different sets of skills. No one has the same list. And I think teachers can feel like, what am I looking for? What, where do I go first? And that's why I have this list of goals and I have a sort of action plan of what I do first and what I do later, just from lots of experience of looking at student work and conferring with kids and these patterns that appear and learning from experience what seems to have the biggest payoff for a reader in that particular situation. And then once I think you find a goal, once you have some category you're working within, then it becomes easier to sit down next to a student and have a sense of what am I looking for? And then making a, that in the moment decision. Like, like you said, Carl, even after that symbolism conference, you sort of tucked it away into a file folder in your brain. Like this is the kind of conference that goes, you know, and I think that way too. And maybe it's because my dad's an analytical chemist and I grew up in this household of supreme organization and color coding and file folders. And I don't know, it's just, it shaped my, my brain and the way I think. And I find a lot of teachers also thrive on organization and categories. And it's not, it's not totally you know, real, the reading is, is, it's all interconnected. It's all, you know, it all kind of can mush together. It overlaps. But I think having some sort of game plan, some sort of approach can help you feel a little bit more sure-footed so that you feel less, I don't know where I'm going here, which is where a lot of my early conferring felt. It felt like I'd sit down, I'd ask questions, I'd pull something out of thin air, or I'd have like this conferring cheat sheet with like my top 10 conferences on it. I'd pick one of those 10 and it wasn't always what the child really needed to use Carl's words, but it wasn't always like the most worthy thing that I could be teaching to the student. So that's kind of how I've made my way out of a lot of floundering <laughs> into having some sort of sense of direction, even with kids I don't know, in books I've never read, in a school I've never stepped foot in, but prior to that conference, I feel like I have some direction. God, you're bringing me back in time. And but I just remember that group so well, Jen. And you were such, you know, you pushed my thinking so much in that group. I think that was the time with, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell's work from Blink and his ideas on pattern recognition and assessment. And then 
you guys just really push my thinking on that. And, you know, and you've really taken that to an incredible length in all of your books. I mean, they're so marvelous and the goal setting work. And, you know, I, I just think you're reading a writing strategies book, your new book, all your books are so good at talking about that so clearly. And it's so beautiful and elegant. So thank, thank you for you so all much. That. Oh, thank you, Carl. That means so much to me. As we chat, we are less than 48 hours away from the 2019 Oscar ceremony. So I have two Oscar-themed questions about conferring. If there was a blooper reel of you conferring, tell us about one great scene that would be on it. Oh my gosh, I've got so many. Can I go first, Carl? Yes, you can. Oh my goodness. All right. So I signed up, I don't even know what year this was, but I signed up for a summer institute section on getting better at reading conferences back in the day at Teachers College. And on the first day of our week-long institute, they asked for volunteers to come up and role play a teacher and a student. So this was before I was a staff developer. I was still a classroom teacher. I was like, I could, I, sure, I'm brave. I'll go up and I'll try it. So I, I'm playing the role of the teacher. And I don't know what I did. I, I, I remember asking some questions. I remember nodding along. I remember you know, saying something to the the person who's playing the role of the student. And then I said to the to the person playing the role of the student, does that make sense? And then they were like, yes. And I was like, okay, great. And I walked back to my seat and the teacher looked at me and she goes, is that it? And I said, uh, yeah. She said, well, aren't you going to actually teach it? And I think that moment, while highly embarrassing, because I'm in front of an audience of other teachers, really taught me that you've got to make the kid do the work in the conference. Otherwise, you're not really teaching anything. So as embarrassing as it was, and as much of a blooper as it was, it taught me a really important lesson. Jen, that's remind. I'm, I'm going to tell another story, but um, your story has reminded me of the same thing happened to me at Teachers College, but in a different context. It was a principal's conference, and Lucy, I'm with Lucy Calkins, and she says, Carl, come up here. I'll be the student. You've been my teacher, and you coach me. You confer <laughs> with me. And she was- Just she set was, up, Carl. Real, set up. She was a really tough student, but you know it went pretty well, I thought. So anyway, but that was stressful, you know. but I got through that. Anyway, the story that I, I want to tell is actually- um, school-based. Let me set the scene. PS321 in Park Slope, Brooklyn, uh, one of the greatest elementary schools in the world, as far as I'm concerned. A marvelous principal, Liz Phillips, amazing teachers. My daughter went to school there, K through five. And so it was a Friday afternoon. I was doing some PD there and I was doing some conferring and I was kind of tired and they brought a little boy up to talk to me. And I said, how's it going? And he goes, I'm done. And he did say it in a very inviting way. It was a very prickly, I'm done. And, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, God, it's Friday afternoon. So I looked at his writing, which is in an I'm done conference. I usually end up looking at their writing. And, you know, I noticed that he was wrote an all about piece like the World War II kid. And I'm like, you know, I could go there, but, you know, that's going to be really hard. This kid's going to probably fight me. So I'll do a little dialogue work. That won't be too hard. And I did that. Everyone seemed happy with that. He, he was excited by it. I was excited that he was excited and everyone seemed happy. And then afterwards, we're debriefing the session. And Liz, the principal, she's so brilliant. She says, Carl, I'm, I'm curious about that conference with a little boy that was done because clearly he needed some focus work. and you, in my opinion, you kind of went for something that wasn't that important. And I kind of just looked at everyone and said, yeah, I copped out. I just went for the easy route. And, you know, and I, I think it's conferences like that, that 
have led me to think about that concept of worthiness. I don't think I was worthy of that little boy. And I got called on it that day very appropriately. I really should have just kind of sucked it up and said, I got to do some hard work with this kid. And because sometimes it's not fun really to confer. Sometimes we have to challenge a kid in a way that they may not want to be challenged 100%. And But in the end, it's like green eggs and ham. It's like, wow, you know, I like this. That works for me. But I didn't take the risk. And I've always remembered that conference and I've told that story many, many times. So that's one of kind of my all-time bloopers, being called on a decision I made that really wasn't a great decision. And thank you, Liz. That taught me a lot. You're making me think of how many times I've suggested a strategy to a child in a conference and they just turn and look at me and say, no. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, in front of an audience of teachers. No, I'm not doing that. That's a recurring blooper. You can find that on many reels. I had a first grader came in to confer with me in a room with three first grade teachers and the coach today. And she sat down and said, how's it going? And she's like, I don't want to be here. And I said, okay, <laughs> there you go. Hard. But I made some jokes with her. We got through it and it worked okay. But it almost turned into a blooper. If we made a movie about teachers learning to confer with children, what song would make a good theme song for that movie? And you can't say shallow because that was my answer. (laughs) And it's not the shallow. It's the diving into the deep end part that you have to do to confer. I don't know. I have the tiger. (laughs) I feel like people need to like have courage and like rally maybe. I don't know. That's a hard question, Katie. Uh, Carla, I know yours is going to be a Beatles song, so you might as well go for it. It's got to be for me with a little help from my friends. The second song on Sgt. Pepper. Let me just improv a little bit here. I can't really sing this, but I'll just just kind of talk it out. So like, what would you think if I conferred out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll talk with the kid. And I'll try not to confer out a key. Oh, I learned to confer with a little help from my friends. I get by with a little help from my friends. I'm going to try it with a little help from my friends. So, you know, um, I, I guess I'm thinking that song because just, you know, Deb Ball says, good teachers aren't born good teachers. We learn to be good teachers. And I really think we sometimes don't pay enough attention to how much teachers grow in a social context. And we do it with a little help from our friends. And Jen mentioned the leadership group she was in years ago, and we all learned and pushed each other. And every time I'm with teachers like that, they push my thinking on conferring. And one little story about, I, I was in the Newark public, the Newark City Schools in Ohio last year for a week. I did 10 conferring workshops for seven schools, K through five. I did 60 conferences that week. And it was a great week. It was a great residency, but that's really just part one. And it was interesting to follow this school. They tweet about their conferring work. And like they, someone from the school district, I'm sorry, I don't remember the person's name off, off the bat, but I just retweeted this so you could find it on my Twitter feed. But she tweeted a picture of the fifth grade teachers doing what they call instructional rounds. And each teacher was, there's a picture of the teacher conferring with the child in front of her colleagues or his colleagues. And clearly what they're doing is they're conferring and discussing it. So they're they're each pushing each other. It's so exciting to see that that work continue that I started, but they're doing the real work now, the really important work of, of learning together about conferring. So we do it with a little help from our friends. And I, I hope that this joyful work of learning to confer is very social and collaborative. Our thanks to Carl, Jen, and Katie for their time today. If you'd like to learn more about Heinemann's Classroom Essential Series or Carl's book, A Teacher's Guide to Writing Conferences, and Jen's book, A Teacher's Guide to Reading Conferences, check out Heinemann.com for more. And over at blog.heinemann.com, you can see videos, read blogs, and check out sample chapters from their books as well, including links to follow all three of the authors on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. 